Welcome back to another episode of Therapy Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So if you're following the series of this episodes, we're going with our Star Wars theme, nerding out a little bit. Episode one or three was a new hope for physical therapy. Again, our special guest, Dr. Kelly Sturrett, Dr. John Russin, and I on the last episode really broke down what is standing in the way and really still a huge amount of opportunity for the profession. In this episode, we're going Physio Empire Strikes Back. This is the rebellion fighting back and in that there's more actionables delving into some serious topics like burnout, uh, social media, just strategies that both John and Kelly have used and seen things that work and haven't worked and what needs to be integrated in order for physio to continue to push forward. So yes, there's some revelations, there's some arms sliced off, there's some battles. It's an epic episode, middle episode of the trilogy. Let's get into it. Therapy Insiders Podcast, Dr. Kelly Starrett, Dr. John Russin. Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. This is episode two or episode five, depending if you're following our Star Wars parallel. So episode one slash episode four was A New Hope, which uh, which was received really well. I'm Gene Shirakabrad here with Dr. Kelly Storett, Dr. John Russin, back for the Physio Empire Strikes Back. Guys, you ready to get into this? Lads, I think uh, we are on Hoth. We're being attacked right now. I think that's what I recall, right? I mean, it's, it, it's on. Ta- Let's do this. Gene just got out of the uh, Tauntaun, and I'm, uh, <laughs> and I'm just glad to be here, even though it smells bad. Uh, hey, it's about survival, man. You got to do what you got to do to survive and move on to fight another day. Um, first episode was was very well received. We covered a lot of ground, and... That's that's one of the big things with the first episode. You lay the characters, you lay the foundation, you cover some topics, and the framework is there. Now, in this episode, it's time to pull out the lightsaber, slice off some arms, and just announce that we're somebody's daddy. Uh, so let, let's get into it, guys, and let's talk about some of the more specifics and really difficult topics within the the, the framework of the first episode. And one that we touched on that we really need to dive deep into is burnout. And this is just a huge, huge issue that is crushing younger grads and even some of the some of the more experienced, let's say in the five to 10 year range experience. Um, it, it's just brutal. Kels, what are you seeing, man? Because you, you're getting a lot of this as well. Um, what's your take on the burnout? I think I think we should if we're going to acknowledge burnout, I think it's real. Um, and if you look at people 
senior therapists sometimes hustling to get out of the role of, you know, on the ground seeing patients and into leadership roles where they can sort of offload that load a little bit, then I think on the one hand, we would create a little Ponzi scheme where we're bringing the young grads in, you know, and so we can take our senior people and they can do side hustles. Um, I, I feel like, you know, the, the elephant in the room is why are we burning out? You know, and the workload is high patient count is high. Um, and, you know, I think there's no such thing as burnout if you're committed. I think you get tired. I think if you look at John day one in PT school coming out and working, let's just say, in a traditional clinic, um, and then look today at what he does, I'll guarantee you that he works 2x times as hard at least than he did. What's the difference there? Well, the difference is that he's the captain of his ship, and I think anyone who is in that role feels differently about the role. So what is it about the agency? What is it about loci of control? It's sort of a, you know, there's, there is, I think, a, a real issue here that we're going to have to think differently about how much time we're able to spend with patients. And that comes back to being able to have meaningful interaction and some kind of you know, control over your, your workflow in a way that still gets you paid in a certain amount. I, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's an amount of money that you can get paid where you can rationalize that away. You know, I think it would help for a little while, but ultimately, you know, there's got to come down to a time where you're not just cranking, you know, cranking people out. And I feel like that is part of the issue, especially when you're trying to work in these clinics where you're multiple, managing multiple people at the same time. Yeah. John, what do you think? I mean, you, you, you get a lot of younger clinicians that follow you, especially in the, in this kind of a uh, hybrid side hustle. Cause I see a lot of younger clinicians working that, that side hustle from the fitness perspective and following you and getting a, a lot of inspiration from you. What are you hearing and, and what's your take on the burnout? Well, I think autonomy is a hot word, especially in physical therapy Absolutely. the last couple of years, the last 10 years. But autonomy doesn't necessarily mean autonomy within your own center, within your own clinic. It means against somebody else right now. You know, we don't need the physicians, but it shouldn't only be that way. It should be we don't need anybody else except for us and our patient being patient-centered approach in order to do what we do. So getting back to what Kelly was saying, if you feel totally passionate and you feel fulfilled from a daily workload of 12, 13, 14 hours, you're going to go home and you are going to have a smile on your face year after year, decade after decade. And I know a lot of clinicians like that. I know a lot of coaches like that. But on the opposite side, this is where I see a majority of people, they don't feel fulfilled. They feel like they have shackles on their ankles. They're being tied down to their potential of how they can help people. And that is what I think is really leading to these increased rates of burnout. And speaking to burnout, I, from the fitness and the sports performance industry, there's pretty hard data on this. We see the average shelf life of a personal trainer or a professional strength coach being only 18 months, so a year and a half. A year and a half, most a majority of these professionals leave the profession of personal training or strength and conditioning. I don't know the exact statistics in physical therapy, but I have to say they can't be much more in terms of the psychological and the emotional effects of burnout. The big difference I see here is that people that have gone through an undergrad and then a graduate program have sat for their boards. They have so much time, money, energy and emotions invested in being a physical therapist, 
at 18 months, they might hit mental and emotional burnout. But you know what? They don't leave the profession like personal trainers and strength coaches do because, again, they have so much invested. And this is where I see a big problem is that I'm not willing to leave the profession, but I'm also burned the fuck out right now. So what ends up happening is people just clocking in their nine to five, seeing 30 patients a day and just being okay with mediocrity. And that's what we were talking about last episode. You know, we are not doing as well as we need to do. We're not even close right now. And I think that this is a multifactorial problem here, but I think getting people into better positions so they can fulfill their destiny of being a professional physical therapist and helping people that's what's going to do the most good in terms of trying to avoid this fatigue and burnout that we're seeing in the profession. I, you guys made two awesome points. I think one is, is ownership. Another one is, is autonomy. And I think another one is hope, right? When, when you get into these, these kind of traps of it's, it's, it's like that scene from star Wars when they fall into the trash compactor, it's the walls are being squeezed from both ends of seeing patients of student loans, whatever the walls are for unique individuals, regardless, they're being squished in. And like John said that you've invested so much, the walls are still moving and you have to just try to claw your way out. And unfortunately there's no hope. Like people don't see hope and the ones that want to be business owners, they think that's their way out and they feel like, Oh, I'll have more, more freedom. The thing is you won't, and that's not the mindset. Business ownership isn't necessarily the way out because what you realize as a business owner, and you guys can attest to this, you don't have more freedom. You have more control. Sure. But you still, you work more hours in the, in the, in the beginning, you probably make less money, but you, you have to figure out what your hope is. Kels, what, what can we, what is the, what is the hope for, for physios? Well, you know, one of the things that we are always asking people and I used I think I used to be a lot less okay with it until I realized that it was 100% my model was I asked people what's your side hustle you know and I literally and I mean that in with no pejorative way but literally what are you working on you know so that you can begin if you're in a model that looks like the way sort of traditional physio moves on that you go into a clinic the the question is hey that's your day job but what is it the thing that you're building? How are you building revenue? How are you building wealth? How are you building experience? How are you building a, you know, something that feeds you? Because I think then one is that reframing makes a big difference. And, and so one of the things that currently happens is that you're, by the time you're done writing notes and <laughs> managing your, your codes, and there's nothing else. I mean, you, that's it, right? You're just your plan and you're just trying to get out of there and have a life. So you know, one of the things that I think makes a big difference or and things that we've observed now for the, all the time that we've been doing this is that when you get to coach and teach, your role gets to kind of flop back and forth. And I'll, I'll say even Kaiser does this, and it's very popular here in San Francisco where there are lots of classes that are adjuncts on. And, and the problem is that the therapists are doing these classes in you know, a carpeted room with no equipment. And they're, they're really, you know, they're doing, they're teaching Feldenkrais, they're teaching, you know, some kind of rehab, but you can see how important they are to the therapist. And if you walked in, I mean, the, 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 the punji sticks and trip wires of, of people who've been in that system for a long time. And this is my space. And, you know, they're really, you can tell that people have carved out this, 
little side class hustle for themselves. And I really think that that is the model for us on the outside is to kind of be able to wear two hats simultaneously. And I'll, I'll um, just recount a little story for you is that I was working in a, you know, a sports orthopedic clinic right when I got out of school. And this, this great therapist who is FAOMT, she's, uh, she teaches uh, for, um, I mean, she, she's a stud. And literally she's like, you're going to have to decide, are you a coach or are you a physical therapist? She literally sat me down and was like, you need to decide right now. And I was like, hmm. do I need to decide? And that moment, my first year out, literally I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm really not okay with that. I think I really like both. And, and that really, you know, has stuck with me. And I think one of the nice things about having your own gym, about having your own center is that you can do a lot of excellent therapy in a group setting, in a gym setting, in a, you know, we talked last time about trying to get the table closer to the squat rack and trying to integrate this into a sort of an, a greater conversation of health. And, and I think one of the things that I tried to make the point of, and I don't know if I did, but you know, we, you can see people in a blind clinic, which is just, we're talking about low ceiling, small room, carpeted floor, plinth, right? If they have an injury, really bad, obvious injury that you're helping to rehab, like post-surgery, for example, or pathology, right? Because you don't need a lot of context around that. And I think, you know, you can get someone functional again, and, and there's real real value and, and merit there. And, and, but the rest of it, there's got to be a movement component to that. And even, even those people who have that pathology and that, that injury are still going to ultimately need some kind of movement training. And a quick jog up and down the hallway is not what we're talking about. You know, how many, and let's be honest, how, and if you're listening to this, someone has come to see you for a running related problem, self-reported running related injury, or been referred by a physician. How have you evaluated their running technique? Have you evaluated their running technique? Have you looked at how well they move and run and, and talk to them about their warm-up and talk to them? No, you probably haven't. And, you, and part of that is you don't have a treadmill to put them on. You know, maybe you have a zero G and your, your company's rad, but uh, the rest of I mean, I don't know how many clinics I've been into where I'm like, well, where do you guys do your movement assessment? You know, how, how are you watching someone run? And the key is that the whole system is set up sort of against that model. So the side hustle model that we have evaluated is really gives, you know, by taking being a little bit more flexible on your payment structure, how you're, I mean, I remember getting a, an email from the CAPTA, the California Physical Therapist Association saying how to take cash in your business. That was like a lesson email. We're going to teach you how to accept payment for your services in cash. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, this is crazy. That's all I want is cash, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so I think, one is we are always asking side hustle. Makes it what, tell me what does you do? Oh, you like to run with we work with runners or swimmers or kids or you know parkers. Like what what's it that you like to do? Second is for us we have noticed that if we're going to have that meaningful extension conversation because when I go and lecture at my local PT school, you know and I talk about it, I said hey you are a book of one, a book of you're developing a book of business if you work for someone else and you are going to be the touchstone for this person and all of their family and they're going to start referring to you and everyone that in their network will come to you and you're going to see them for years and decades that's the goal of a physio 
you develop that kind of relationship so that when someone comes in, you actually have some context for how they're moving, what their life is, and what's happening so that you can... And that is, I think, one of the ways that we can mitigate this feeling that I have a student loan debt due, I have to have this job, I don't have any extra time to get excited, start a side hustle, do these, right? We've got we've to reconceptualize what's happening at, at the pointy end of the stick. Otherwise, it's just not the profession. People are not stoked. And we're seeing so many people, you know, physical therapy, personal insurance is cheap. It's really cheap. Because therapists typically don't get sued, touch wood for everyone, comma, um, you know, you can set up a table in a gym corner and say, hey, I'm going to do evals on shoulders and I'm going to help people with lower back pain or better. I mean, you can just get started very, very easily. And it may be that you're working two full-time jobs temporarily, but as you, what you'll see is that that other one will catch and you'll, there's so many more alternatives. I promise you there are. So the point is do. Right, you you can get swallowed by the what if, and the one constant you will have, the one guarantee you will have is if you're getting crushed by burnout, by by concerns, by fears, by by this crushing feeling that you're sinking because you've invested, that you're trapped, like John said, because you you've spent all this time and money. If if you have that. You have nothing to lose by doing, by going out there, by trying, by creating an opportunity for yourself, like Kelly said, in a gym, in a side hustle, and just something that you want to do, create this light for yourself. And one avenue is social, right, John? Social media creates this, a very low threshold of testing. What's the best way to get into that? Gene, I'd say the best way to get into that is not get into that. And nobody's going to like this answer, but it has to be said out there. A majority of the talented coach-physio hybrids coming out of school right now, they think that they're going to be the next Kelly Starette. And the odds are just against them. That doesn't mean that it's not going to happen, but it's not going to happen right away. So the side hustle like Kelly is talking about, there are people willing to work 70 or 80 hours a week. Kelly and I, Gene, you're in this boat too. We are some of those people. You know, we did it against the odds. You know, I had young kids at home making no money at one point in time to start new businesses, risks everywhere. Gene, you've done the same thing. Kelly, you've done the same thing. But the side hustle in this generation turns into, hey, I'm going to get on Instagram and make some bullshit piece of, like some terrible, terrible corrective exercise that nobody's ever seen before. And I'm going to put a picture of the thoracic spine next to it. And then I'm going to get a following. And I'm 22 years old. I'm 23 years old. I've never actually coached a person in my life. I've never actually treated enough people to have some sort of avatar in the back of my mind. And this usually happens from the traditionalist model of physical therapy happening in a nine to five job. So instead of actually going out there and getting into the community and into a CrossFit gym, uh, joining sports performance, doing one to two evals a week in the setting that is your dream setting to work in, people are side hustling from the couch, or at least thinking that they're side hustling, trying to produce content in terms of social media, Instagram, Facebook. It needs to be said, like Kelly said something that just stood out to me last episode. He's like, I started mobility about eight years ago. Then I started doing the math in my head. I was like, you know, Kelly's not old, but he's not the youngest guy either. Like, what was he doing before that? And then I looked at myself. You know, I wrote my first article in 2014. I was coaching athletes 
for seven years before anyone knew my name. So I think a lot of that side hustle or doing what other people aren't willing to do, it needs to happen with boots on the ground. It needs to happen locally. There's too much right now in fitness. There's too much even in physio of people trying to be global before they're local. Own your town. Own your street. Be the go-to person that, like Kelly was just saying, if your mom gets hurt, their father, their brother, if you do good for one person, you become a community asset. Do that first. Do that. Accrue some career capital doing that. And then start worrying about some of the social media and all of that stuff. Because a big misconception out there is just because you have an Instagram following or just because people uh, you know, go on your Facebook page and comment in does not mean that you can monetize that. And it doesn't actually mean that you're helping anyone either. Uh, wait, so wait, wait, wait. Hang on. I get, I get at least a dollar per Instagram like per – like you don't understand. I, I don't know where that money is, but um, I just want to – I really want to second that because you know one of the things that is very confusing now is that you do see people who are doing a good job and, and are on the internet or in the, the kind of more public sphere. And what I – you know, when I came up, Back in the day, um, you know, <laughs> fortunately for us, it wasn't an option. It wasn't music. There was you. You couldn't. There was no thing. I mean, I remember when a so I remember a patient. I was like, "What are you doing in your car? You've been sitting in your car an hour before you saw me." She's like, "There's this thing called Twitter, and it's amazing." And I remember being like, "That sounds so dumb." And um, Still does. When I was in PT school, just hang on, and that wasn't that long ago because there are a lot of people who are masters who have been treating a lot longer, working a lot longer than I am. But I started the gym my second year of my third semester, fourth semester of physio school, second year. And that year I was, I was already coaching a local high school rowing team as a strength and conditioning coach. And um, that we went to national champions, uh, the national championship, and won that several times. But I literally faked – a, I had a baby, um, in, you know, at home, a new baby. My Juliet was an attorney and I faked leaving. I had to go for childcare and I would leave one of my classes 15 minutes early to drive 40 minutes to go coach high school rowing because I, that was my jam. I'm a coach. That's what I do. And so I geared up my whole life to be around that. I had a partner that supported it, et cetera, et cetera. But meanwhile, I got up at, you know, I was up at, you know, five in the morning to go coach before school. I would leave school and then go coach this high school rowing team. And to John's point, that was all about building a referral base for myself so that I could make this next step, so that I could be busy, that I could work in the populations that I was excited about. And boy, I didn't tell anyone about it. You couldn't even find out. I mean, you know, it was, you know, we, I remember when we decided to start a blog for the gym, it was a big deal. And, uh, you know, what I would like to point to people is point to your successes, build this network locally of the people that you're talking about, have a Facebook group for your patients. Have them sign. You won't. You won't tell their stuff. Have them talk about their stories. Create raving fans locally, and I guarantee you, it'll start to feel differently. But if you're waiting around and you, you know, and you're just going open through the doors and wondering who your next patient is, and you don't, and it's difficult to develop a rapport because you're seeing them every, you know, an evaluation for 45 minutes and then a follow up every 10 to 14 days, like that just doesn't feel like it. The I'm a Maitland trained therapist. 
and you know Australian model meant that you actually saw someone three to five times a week originally when you saw them for therapy. And a lot of the follow-up questions were, how did you feel after the first 12 hours? How did you feel after 24 hours? Because I'm going to treat you again right now. And that therapeutic relationship, I think we originally envisioned this was much tighter. The coupling between intercessions and intercessions was much higher that we could actually see what was going on and begin to have these meaningful conversations. I can see why it feels like from our pain uh, obsessed brothers and sisters, why that got sort of lost in the, in the milieu, because you can understand now that if you're not actually touching people, seeing people more than once every two weeks, that that pain theory can kind of get out the, get out the door. We don't, we, there's not enough, a lot of time in there to have that conversation. So get started you know, get, you know, in, in start building those fans locally. And I guarantee you, you will start to feel differently about your situation. You may feel tired because you don't have a, a life for a little while, but that will change. Kelly, I got some, can I, can I grill Kelly with a couple of questions here? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm truly interested myself in this Yeah. from the, the first athlete you coach Kelly to the day that you put mobility wad up. How many years span was that? Oh, uh, do I don't even know. I, like we're talking 10 plus years, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. People need to hear this stuff. So 10 plus years of doing your craft and being an amazing clinician and coach that potentiated you to get to the point where you could go and talk about it. And, and I think it's important to understand. It's also important to understand that the reason we took the next step was always out of necessity. You know, um, exactly. you know, when we started our first course, you know, uh, 12 years ago, it was because there were some local gyms who were saying, hey, can you come and talk to us? 13 years ago, can you come talk to us about the shoulder? And I would drive over at 7 o'clock and you know, do an informal chat about how I perceived the shoulder to work, how it worked within the context of what people are doing. You know, can you do one about the hip next? Yes. And like, I, that was how it started. I literally would drive over to a, another gym you know, an hour away and then just do a, a free course about – unraveling the Gordian knot of the shoulder for these athletes and you know which begets the next course which begets the next thing which begets like you know and we probably mentioned this but just to remind people the reason we started the videos the video a day was that I would literally come home and be like Juliet you know there's only like seven problems and you know we I need people to level up so that I can have the next conversation because I'm tired of having these really low level conversations. Why don't the athletes I work with know any of this? You know, they don't understand any of this. And so Juliet said, well, you should do something about it. And I was like, well, I will. And uh, <laughs> I filled my crotch for 10 minutes in the yard. With the video whatever, and and um, you know, holding the camera out of necessity. Cause, and my point is we never – it's a little, it would be difficult now or different now because it's confusing, but we never set out to build anything. We set out to solve a problem for our patients so we could have a reference library of stuff that they could go and we could begin to level everyone up, which begets the next thing, begets the next thing. So, you know, get started with a set of problems with, I mean, you should have, if you're still drawing stick figures on the, on the board, you should be shot. 
you know, and um, with a BB gun, not an oh, actual gun, uh, BB, just, a bit, just so it hurts a little bit. You got to put your hand in the uh, paraffin wax until it burns. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you are get the guy who gets to do the sham diathermy next. So, um, you know, the, the issue is that, uh, you know, there's, you should be able to have a library of these things that you're, you know, becoming more sophisticated, being able to scale, being able to help. And that, that really is the way of, of thinking about it, but you've got to think differently about it. And listen, this is business 101. This this is a fundamental piece of business. Solve a problem, not create a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And business, I mean, business is an entire topic that we'll, we'll cover, which doesn't exist in physical therapy, let alone healthcare. It's just not taught. You, you, you have to get out. You have to search for it. You have to fail a ton through experience, through iteration, which is unfortunate. We don't have that foundation. But things have also evolved. There's different problems. There's different approaches to the problems. There's still the fu- same fundamental problem. People getting injured, people being more active, people needing help. That's a universal problem that, that will not go away. Ever. Social media is a different avenue to, to deal with problems. And we're living in a time where information is, is so readily available. It, it's very different than when you first started, Kelly, 10, 12 years ago. It's going to be very different next year, and it's going to be exponentially different every year after that. The thing about social media that that gets lost when we talk about it is that people try to make it as a secondary revenue stream. People look at social media as a revenue stream. Where they fail is that they look at some of the successful accounts that have large followings, that have engagement, and what they make it the automatic assumption that they are making money from that, which is very, very false because I have the opportunity to consult with a lot of those accounts. And one of the first questions they ask us is, okay, guys, so how do we make money from this? <laughs> and our answer is you don't, <laughs> you, you, you have to invest a lot to get something back in a lot of ways. You, you have to have a, a business structure in place and you have to fill out a formula, you have to create an ROI, and that takes time. What social media is powerful for is an extension of the business you already have. So if you, have, if you want to create a side hustle, social media is not your side hustle. Social media is an extension of the business that you're creating, and it has to be in that order. Business that you create, a problem that you're solving, using social media as an adjunct, as an extension of it. I think that that's to your point, John, that people can't look at digital and social and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do that. This is what's going to get me money because just making videos and getting likes and follows, that's not a business model. I, I was having a conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago with one of my good friends, you know, somebody who is making multiple million dollars in the physio and fitness space right now, which is, you know, a very, very small percentage of all of the licensed physical therapists out there. We are saying that we are looking at Instagram and we said there has to be some data behind this. We're just kind of tossing this out there. There is an indirect correlation between the amount of followers people have and the actual business and monetization of that business that they could make. And we went in and there's actually decent data on this. You know, you look at some of these accounts and you're like 400,000 followers, 800,000 followers, 2 million followers. I've never heard of this fucking guy before. And then you look and you're like, man, well, well, Kelly's only got like 150, 180,000 followers on Instagram. 
And he puts out brand new content every single day that's gold standard. And you could go down the street and ask somebody in any fitness gym in the world, hey, do you know what Mobility Watt is? Yep. So we need to, you know, just tie that back and just remember that, Gene, you made such a good point. You got to have a business. You have to have an expertise first. Once you can do that locally, you can share that more globally. That, that is so pivotal. But, you know, I do have about 10 to 12 different physio coaches that I mentor right now. And I have the same conversation, initial conversation with all these guys, you know, Many of them are just like the listeners that are tuning into this podcast right now. They're working the traditionalist model. They know that they have a unique skill set. They want to bring something else to the market locally, but they just don't know what to do yet. My first action step for these guys and girls are literally just to become a part of whatever type of setting that you aspire to work in. So if that means that you want to work in high sports performance as a rehab physio for athletes, you know what? Go put your own body through some of those sports performance classes four to five days a week. Be part of that community. If you love CrossFit and you want to treat CrossFitters, you better be training at the CrossFit gym that one day you hope you could set up a table in the corner. From there, you have to start moonlighting. It is so easy. You know what? People are going to ask questions. You don't have to go out and start marketing to them day one. Hey, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Nobody gives a shit. You know what? That's going to offend people and it's going to break down relationships before they even start. What you have to do is be one of the guys first. And then you know what? People are going to realize that if you have a sound movement practice, if you look the part, if you're practicing what you preach, and you happen to just know a whole lot more shit than the average guy walking through the, the CrossFit gym, they're going to ask you some questions. And then it's an easy referral source from there. But it has to happen slowly. Everyone wants to go fast, fast, fast with this. For a vast majority of my mentorees, it takes 18 to 24 months to get to the point where they can quit their traditionalist job and they can move over more full-time into whatever their passion project is. But that's 18 to 24 months of moonlighting. It's going to the 5 a.m. classes. It's going to the 6 p.m. classes. It's volunteering time at 8 p.m. when you should be home with your kids. You know, There's a lot of sacrifice that goes into this, and it's not an instantaneous payoff. But we have to just put that out there. You know what? Anything that is worth building is worth building correctly. And we want to be doing this for the rest of our life. Like we were talking about before, we've invested a huge amount of everything into being a doctor of physical therapy. That's something that 18 to 24 months, you should invest in yourself. You should invest in your body. You should invest in your career building. And that's one of the hardest things that people just can't get themselves to do that holds them back in working in a more non-traditional model that is essentially their lifelong goal. Yep. And consistency, consistency breeds comfort, not complacency, comfort, which is a good thing for you and for people that see you doing it. But it also breeds discontent from people around, which I want to finish this episode off with. You guys put out a lot of content with that goes a lot of scrutiny. You guys engage (laughs) and chat and sometimes give hugs, um, but mostly. Gene, you, you think you think we get scrutiny? I, honestly, I don't get any negative comments, barely ever. Like we have, we have a team of four people on my social, team of four people on my website. It is few and far between times that we see anyone who is being disrespectful or who is being vindictive. You know, most people 
are really, really good and they're just looking for information. And those are the people that follow my pages and buy my products. So I'm, I'm lucky. I don't know how it works with Kelly, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same thing. Yeah. The, where we, where we uh, run into the rakes is only in physical therapy. <laughs> yes, exactly. And what's interesting is that I, I have spent a lot of time in the last few years, and you and I have talked a lot about this, John, and Gene, you pulled me off the ledge many times. There's been times where I said, you know what, I don't think I'm a physical therapist anymore. I'm letting my license lapse. You know, you go into my APTA history, I'm, I'm on again, off again with the APTA. I'm like, ah, I didn't, didn't renew for a month. But, you know, I'm just like, ah, you know, who am I? What am I doing? You know, is this, and then, and then I have to spend a lot of time feeling like I have to defend my education at the physical therapy school. Like somehow everything that I was taught, I'm now responsible for to go defend and always share the research for, right? And, uh, you know, if it wasn't that long ago, you know, within 20 years, I can't, you know, we pay attention. We, I mean, one of the things that, you know, I think is a benefit of having this side hustle. And I just, I just want to leave or, or add one more thing to this kind of conversation is that Juliet was a full-time attorney. I worked at a full-time physio clinic, 40 hours a week, and I had the gym for many years. So that was, you know, we did that whole thing for many, many, many years. So um, and before I quit and then Juliet quit. So, I mean, we always had two or three jobs for a long time. Caveat, now what, I, what I'll say is I'm sure it's, it's confusing when you see a different way of, of practicing and a different way of, of thinking about the world and delivering patient care, athlete care, than, than you were taught or than you've ever known. And, you know, we have there are some very high profile physical therapists who've been very unhappy and very unflatteringly gross towards us. And I have to, I, you know, I'm like, you gotta, you gotta show me that it doesn't work. You know, you've got to show me that my, look, if, you know, the model or, or algorithm I've been using is I'm like, look, you've got matches and you're making fire with matches. And if I come on with a lighter, I don't have to show you and show you the science that my lighter works the same way as your matches. It's called logic and inception. And it just have, we have a different different application of what we're doing. But you know, really, if you're watching the internet, and I think it's a confusing place because you don't ever see context. You don't go back and read. You get a snapshot, and you may or may not like the language that's been used. You may or not like understand what's happening in that moment. And the goal is, hey, it's foreign. It's opposite. It's not what I do. As we talked about the first thing, man, there are a lot of roads that lead to Rome. And what you should always be looking at is thinking. What is this person trying to solve? Is that the most efficient? Can I use that? Yes or no? And what's confusing is, and this is really towards the the burnout topic uh, of young grads, new grads, and these transitional kind of lost grads. Um, if One, if you went through it, Kells, somebody that's established and has had a lot of success, you you went through periods of, of confusion and and kind of dis- disconnect with the profession at large. So it's a normal piece to go through, especially as change happens. But what, what, what these professionals are looking at on the internet is, is the critique is, is really the uh, projection. I, I think that's what it comes down to is a lot of people project because they're unhappy, they're insecure, and they're stuck themselves. So when, when, when I look at these conversations or when somebody says something to me, it's, I, it's, it's a rare occurrence that I ever get 
upset or heated because I, I look at them and say, what is going on in, in your life? What is going on with you that you're projecting this and, and you're saying this? And then a lot of times I, I really feel bad for them because I, they, to me, they're lost like so many people are. And, and, and it's not on me to attack them back. It's on me to really figure out what is going on and to keep going and show by doing what we've been talking about the whole time. You know, something crazy. So I was, uh, I was in Columbus, Ohio last, uh, last month and I was coaching Dave Tate again, you know, been coaching him all year. That's an awesome series, by the way, John. It's a really cool series. You know, if you want to look at like, oh man, and the most generous person I've ever met. For sure. But you know, Dave comes from being a mashed up meathead. He's been a meathead his entire life and he owns it. You know, I, I like to think that we do things a little bit more intelligently. We put the data to work for us a little bit better than the average meathead. But every single time that we sit down, we talk, you know, two, three, four hour conversations around the training structure, we figure out very quickly that we agree in about 98% of things. And the things that we think that we don't agree on, we actually do because it's just this misconception of what somebody's persona is, what they think, but nobody actually knows for real what goes on behind the scenes. But I think why Kelly got such a great following and produces such great products is that everything's out in the open. Hey, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is the population we work with. And get, uh, you know, if you like it, awesome. If you don't like it, then that's fine too. That's a very similar model of what we work with. But I think that we need to say that it's okay if we don't agree with 2%, 10%, 20% of what somebody does. It's not about that. It's about will the vast majority of the other 80% help somebody and are they doing it for the right reasons? So that's why that fixing Dave Tate is so intriguing because you have these two polar opposite guys. They both believe in movement and strength and we're all working towards one singular goal. And all of these different ideas are coming around and you know, we are all physical therapists here first. We're physical therapists, so we need to be supporting other physical therapists. So I think physical therapists have a lot more in common than a mashup power lifter and a sports performance coach, you know, but we don't have the perception that way. We fight against each other. We cannot fight against each other because that is driving down our profession, but ultimately it's harming the care that we're able to give to our clients and to our patients. We need to be looking at results first. We need to be looking at synergizing all the different aspects that the profession of physical therapy has and not fighting against each other for first and foremost, not fighting against other allied professions and taking all of that energy, which we do have. We have passionate, intelligent, and educated people in our field. We need to start pushing that into the right energies to actually push the industry forward to start making some market change in orthopedic function in systemic health and wellness across the board everywhere. And I would go well, I, would, said, man. I would go further and say that uh, not only should we not agree in 2% of some arbitrary 30%, 40%, that is necessary for us to actually talk to all of the different people with the different modalities, different styles, different different you know, different biases like, you know, Karen Litzy and I are not going to talk about the same two of the same people in the same way. I mean, John and I look like big meatheads, right? And <laughs> we need to make sure that there's a diversity in that language. 
first principles are first principles. What you see if you if you talk to go into any you know complexity theory or or uh, even just look at uh, Buckminster Fuller, he says, "Hey, look, systems should be mutually accommodating." And that what we're trying to do is understand that if we have first principles and we're organized in a way, then if I drop my system over John's system, you'll see that there's no interference. What you'll see is variation in tools, but first principles are first principles. So it's not an accident that if, if John's working with the greatest, one of the greatest strength athletes and coaches ever, the principles underneath that are going to line up because we have clinical application we have theoretical underpinning. We have real-world experience, decades and decades of it, that leads us to the same outcome. So if, some, if you're seeing dissonance in the patterning, someone has an issue. And if anyone hasn't read Consilient by E.O. Wilson, I can't recommend this book enough. The point of all of this is this unification of knowledge. So don't confuse methods and tools with principles and, and you know, foundational thinking because the idea is that we need to drive this consilience, this jumping together of knowledge so we can figure it out. And this is why you know, I think one of the benefits that John and I had was that we came out of these strength and conditioning traditions where all of the masters never shit-talked each other, never in public, never. They don't do it. And they're all open door. You want to go trade with Dave Tate, show up at the gym at 5 in the morning, you'll be there. You want to go trade with Gunnar Peterson – you can do yeah. that. You just have to be there at 3.30 in the morning. I swear to God, you, you can do that. You, he'll say, meet me at 2.30 in the morning just to weed you out, right? <laughs> over and over again, I pick up the phone, Mark Ripito calls. I go and work for Mike Bergner. I mean, the number of master coaches, you know, hey, Laura Phelps, you know, you know powerlifter, and she's like, yeah, we'll be squatting at 6 a.m., you know? And what I'm saying is that all of these master coaches are there, and, not, and all of them will say, come and see, come work with me. Let's go squat together. Let's go train together. And what you don't see in the physical therapy field is people saying, come to my clinic, come hang out. You know, come, you know, I'll just ask the patient if you can be there. Like you won't see that. You don't see the masters inviting you in. They're, they're creating their little, little space. And that, that is a 180 difference between how, we, how the rest of the world operates and the best of the rest of the world operates and how the, we operate. You know, Fred Gilbert uh, on, um, on the internets recently just said, he's like, hey, I just went to a strength conditioning conference and I was the only physical therapist there. Why is that? <laughs> you know, why is that? Why, I mean, if we're, if we're trying to reach the people, where are the people? You know, uh, are you just going to wait around until someone has some kind of flaming hot knee and then lecture them about, you know, how it's all in their head and, you know, and it's fine and, you know, how they move is okay. And, you know, you can be set, like, you, you got to be kidding me. Just like absolutely not working what we're currently doing. It's not working. And I think that's going to be a perfect segue for the finishing episode of this series. We'll talk about what do you need to do to get into the community at large? What do you need to do to connect with the other professions? And what do we do about the stay in your lane philosophy? We'll save that for the last episode and your questions and comments that you've been sending. We're going to get to those in the last episode. So if you're listening to this now, and you want your questions answered by Kelly or John on air, hit us up at Therapy Insiders, at Dr. John Russin, at Mobility Wad, tag one of us, tweet the episode, and we'll make sure to get your questions on air for the final episode, The Last Jedi Hang of on. the series. Before we wrap up, I'm just going to give everyone a piece of homework. If you're listening to this, and this is resonating with you, 
before we, before, hopefully John will come back from China. But if, <laughs> before we hear the next episode, your job is to go out and go start a side hustle by getting into a community of people that you care about, by going and being in the climbing gym, by like go start this side thing, because that's the thing anyway. I mean, that's, that's what we should be doing. So you're, that's your, that's your mission. Go out and uh, have this next conversation. Go, go to Barry's bootcamp, go figure it out. That's your mission. Should you accept you choose it or not? John, safe travels. Hope you make it back. If not, episode three will be memoriam. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Gene. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> All right, guys. Great chat with you. We'll catch you again on the final episode.